0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, it's so good to see everyone on this beautiful Easter morning, this resurrection Sunday, that we are delighted to celebrate together at Paramount Church. Let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word, or you can look on with someone next to you at the sermon text for this morning, which is Romans chapter eight. Verses 18 through 21, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. As we prepare our hearts this morning, I want you to think about a question this morning on this Easter morning. What do you love most about Easter? about Resurrection Sunday, what is it that you love most? I sat down and started making a list of all of the things that I love about Easter, and I can make a long list, much longer than the one that I'll share this morning. I seem to love everything, even even the cheesy stuff. I love colorful baskets that my wife makes for our kids. I love the egg hunts. I love the beautiful spring weather, which we are blessed with this morning. I love the grass growing and the flowers emerging. I love the Easter dinners. I love the Easter breakfast. Ours is homemade cinnamon rolls and breakfast, uh, breakfast casserole, I guess is what you would call it. I love even the bunny, the giant bunny, either chocolate or furry. I love all of those things. And I love all of those things because they are all such reminders in this world of God's goodness to us, of his gifts of grace that are intended to help us to think carefully and to appreciate what he has done for us. All of these good gifts that we enjoy, in particular as Christians, but even even the world outside of Christianity, many people are enjoying these things today. Those who who don't know Christ are still enjoying the colors and the dresses and the, the curled hair and the pocket squares and the ties and all the rest. But we have an opportunity to appreciate in these good gifts the reminder of an ultimate gift which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, an announcement of good news, not only an announcement of good news for today, but an announcement of good news for tomorrow and the next day and the next day all the way until the very end when those who are in Christ will enjoy a final, ultimate, glorious, happy resurrection. We want to think forward about that today. Just a couple of days ago on Good Friday, we celebrate and recognize looking back to what Christ has done for us on the cross. And today... We have the opportunity to celebrate what he has done for us in his resurrection, that he actually rose from the dead. He actually is a living savior. It is not a story. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. This actually happened in history, and he is reigning and ruling and fulfilling all of his purposes with immense, infinite delight, and he is looking forward with us to a day of ultimate resurrection. This morning, as we look at Romans verse 8, uh, chapter 8, verses 18 through 21, we want to look all the way forward. We want to think about what has God prepared as he has revealed to us in his word. We want to see that this morning. We'll see that in three truths of what those who know Christ are preparing to receive and looking forward to. Here's the first the first reality of that future resurrection day in which God puts all things to rights, back together again, a final end to sin and suffering, a final day when there are no more tears and no more pain, no more death, we will see this. The glory will be revealed in us. We see the Apostle Paul in verse 18 do what we are so thankful that he does. He doesn't explain away or hide the suffering of this world, but rather he brings it into full view so that he can show off the incredible reality of God's grace and power and love in the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of that is to be revealed to us. Notice, this is one of the things the Apostle Paul does all the time. He is looking forward, forward, forward. He's not ignoring the present, but he is looking forward to an ultimate hope, an ultimate moment, a moment of glory, a moment of future grace. If we really want to appreciate what Easter is all about, We cannot allow the bad news of sin to be explained away. We can't put it to the side and just have nice, flowery, colorful, blooming thoughts about life today. But rather, to have all of the beauty of grace cast for us on the backdrop of sin and suffering. And that's what the Apostle Paul does even here in verse 18. He is honest about this hard life. He is honest about our need for hope. He is honest about the suffering of this present time. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time. If you want to sum up life, one way that you absolutely can do it is with the word suffering. This life is full of suffering. Now, it could be that many of us, myself included, because of the country in which we live, because of the many good gifts that God has showered upon us, because of the circumstances that we often have uh, day in and day out, we, many of us face very little, compared to other people in the world, very little trials. It can be hard to grasp the suffering of this life. But that's what this life is. If, if you look at even other religions that are trying to make sense of the world, like Buddhism, Buddhism is wrapped around a fourfold truth that it's all about suffering. These truths are that, that there is suffering, there is a truth in suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the end of suffering, the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. It's a way of trying to make sense of the world because Buddhism knows what everybody knows in some degree that life is full of suffering. We live in a world that we'll read about in a moment that is under the curse of sin. It has been subjected to futility. There's sickness and there's storms and there's trouble everywhere. There's conflict all the time. There's, there's cancer, there's death, there's, there's conflict between people, there are broken families, there are promises unkept. This world is full, it is full of suffering. But notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us and in us in the final day. Now, when he says to us and in us, he's being very specific. He's talking about people who are in Christ Those who have had their lives, their hearts, their very souls enveloped in the truth of the resurrection, that they have professed with their mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord and that they believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, the promise of the book of Romans is that those people will be saved. Those are the people that Paul has in mind when he says that that glory is to be revealed to us. He's not talking about everyone in the world. He's not talking about all people in all religions. He is talking about people who belong to Jesus Christ because he's the one who is bringing glory in and to them. But his point is one that we want to hold out to the world because his point is a point that is, that is to attract people to Christ, that there is no comparison between the suffering of this present life and the glory and grace that will be revealed to us in the future. Now, what he doesn't mean, is he's not making an argument that, that they can't really be compared, that they're just, they're just not quite similar enough to compare them, and so when you do, you get kind of a lopsided equation. That's not what he means. He's actually making an argument. He, he's actually telling a truth that there is no way to compare them Think about it like this. Imagine that you are going to run something like a a fundraiser 5K. And the way that you're going to raise money, let's say, for missions or for some other charity or organization, is that you're going to run the 5K and get a bunch of sponsors. Your friends and family are going to give you maybe a dollar or five dollars for every mile you run, every kilometer you run, for finishing And when you compare that, it's one mile to $1 or one mile to $5. What Paul is saying is that the comparison between the suffering of this life is not one to one. It's not even one to five. It is one to 10 million. It is one to a trillion. It's not even worth trying to compare the sufferings of this present life The glory that is coming. Paul shows us that the ultimate hope in suffering is future glory, which is future joy. We have been in a sermon series recently through the book of Philippians, and we have been uh, talking about how we want to be better at embracing and enjoying God that we want to really understand what is happiness. And we've come to this conclusion as a church. In fact, many of us have. I certainly have. I don't know how to be happy. I don't just naturally know how to be happy. I'm on a quest to be happy every day. Everything that I do, every moment of the day, is for that reason. But what I desperately need, and what we're getting from this series and from the Word of God in the Gospel, is the reminder that this glory is true happiness. Being caught up in the glory of the God of the universe, who is the all-satisfying God, the only person that can delight the human heart, there's nothing else that can do it, the only person that can put an end to suffering, the only person who can translate suffering in the present life to glory that's incomparable to it, is the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we're celebrating today. That's why the resurrection is so important to us today. Because it's by his resurrection that we have been given life in him. That he has become our ultimate and forever redeemer. That he has become the one who can make us fully and truly happy in him. Like nothing else can. C.S. Lewis, someone who's probably somewhat familiar to us, the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, He said fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, or we might even say in offering us future glory, as we're reading about in Romans 8, is God inviting us to enjoy him. It's inviting us to put all of our life, all of our hope, all of our faith, all of our delight in him where it belongs. Paul is one that we can take his word for it because he knew what suffering was. He suffered far more, almost, almost infinitely more than anyone in this room has ever suffered. And yet here he is saying that the present sufferings of this life because of the world under the curse of sin or because of our own flesh which is sinful or because of the devil who is real and tempting and trying to hold people back, even some people here hold you back from Christ, is not to be compared. Can't even be compared to the glory that will be revealed to those who are in Christ. This is not the only place that he says it. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter four. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart But though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. Now listen to this. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Let me ask you a question. Are the sufferings of this life in this present age, even on this moment, are they producing for you as an individual person? an eternal weight of glory and happiness in Christ as someone who knows him. Is is that happening for you? If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, it is. It is happening. Every moment that you face any suffering in this life, God is working it for ultimate eternal good. He is preparing for you a moment of ultimate resurrection and glory and ultimate, unparalleled, uh, uh, incomparable happiness in Him. If you are not in Christ, He is not. If you're not in Christ, You are not storing up glory and joy and happiness in Christ. You're storing up wrath. And that's why the gospel is so beautiful. That's why we want to announce this every day. We want to put on display that there's no comparing the joy and glory and grace of Jesus Christ to any suffering in this world. And it frees us. It frees us to live and embrace even those moments with hope, knowing as people who are in Christ that this moment, this tear, this pain, this drop of blood, it's not being wasted. God is working it. Therefore, the first way that we can respond we hear this truth is to start doing something new. It's probably new, and that is to consider daily, for all of us who are in Christ, to consider daily with some some self-discipline how the sufferings of this life are not even worthy to be compared to the future glory that we have in Christ. Why is it, do you think, that it's so hard for us to see the hope of this truth in the midst of suffering? Why is it so hard for us to to get our eyes off or, or see through our suffering, to see this bright horizon before us of God's glory at work in us? Why is that so hard? It's because we just don't have a big enough vision for it we just don't think about it enough we don't we don't thrust ourselves into the grace of god enough we don't preach god's happiness to ourselves enough we don't sit in it long enough but if you will my friends if you will if i will and we do together then we will see an entirely different side of suffering you know this life is suffering You know that you are suffering, no matter how you try to hide it. So what is your suffering doing for you? Only in Christ can it do what God has planned. And what he plans is glorious. We are looking forward, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to a future resurrection day in which sin and shame and pain and tears will all be done away, and they will not simply end, as the fourfold truths of Buddhism teach, but they will be replaced. They will be replaced with ultimate glory and gladness in Christ for those who know him. But also, this is something else that Paul says is going to happen and what he is looking forward to. In fact, what he says the whole creation is looking forward to is the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. That future day that we're looking forward to because of the resurrection that we're celebrating this morning not only has promised that glory will be revealed in us and to us, but that children will be revealed among us. That's kind of a weird thing to say. Children will be revealed among us. There will be an unveiling in the final day of all of those who know Christ all of those that he has chosen to bring into his family and draw near to himself, there will be a revealing of them and a revealing to them of God's glory, of how it is that he satisfies them and that they belong to him. Notice what he says in verse nine. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. This moment in the future is so very important. The moment of Christ's return and the subsequent resurrection and end of sin and the final judgment when he will bring a new earth together, new heavens, new earth, and put everything back in order is so important. It is so magnificent that the whole creation is eagerly waiting for that day. Paul described in multiple places in his writings the creation groaning in anticipation of this redemption. And this groaning and anticipation here is centered on the revealing of the children of God. It is as though the whole world is watching and waiting for God to unveil his ultimate final result of all his gospel work in the world. That he will unveil all of the glory that he has been amassing because of the way that he's walked with his people through suffering. That he's gonna unveil his ultimate shining kingdom that will worship him forever without any hindrance, without any question, without any challenge. And the whole creation is waiting for this with with groans, It's the kind of picture that that you might imagine or one that perhaps you have experienced of of a woman giving birth to a child. Uh, A woman who becomes pregnant and is now anticipating and anticipating as the weeks pass and her, her belly is growing, anticipating the day when finally the child within her will be revealed. And then it is brought along by incredible labor pains and groaning. It's the same kind of picture that he's painting for us of what the creation is like The creation is swelling with anticipation of what will happen in the end, all because of what Jesus did in living, dying, and rising again. Listen to the way another version of the Bible puts it. It's J.B. Phillips' version of this verse. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The whole creation is on tiptoe. Think about that image of of a red carpet with some celebrity or honored figure coming down and all of the crowds and everyone with bated breath on their tiptoes looking to see the revealing of this person. All of creation is looking forward to this moment, the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Who are they? Who are these people? These are the people that God, in his sovereign wisdom and grace, has called out from the world. All of the people who in a world that is under the curse of sin, like under a spell, have been called out, their hearts changed, their minds enlightened, their eyes open, their ears opened to hear the good news of Christ, and then to come to him and to fall before him, As their Lord and Savior, as their King, as the one who makes them happy and delights their hearts, these are the children of God. This is an important truth. Because in our world, there's lots of of, of people who have a sense that every person is a child of God. That's not true. We're not all children of God. The Bible says some some wild things and puts it in some wild terms, at one point even saying that, that we're born as children of the devil, that we're born in sin, children of sin. We're born separated from God. In fact, that's the bad news of the Bible, that we are separated from him because of our sin. Our sin is no joke. It's no light thing. It's serious business, and it separated us. The whole world is separated from him. Until, in incredible acts of grace and mercy, he calls out to people like you and me. And he says, come to me. I want you. I want you to belong to me. I'm bringing you to make you belong to me. You are mine. And he changes them. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is an announcement that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me and then rose from the dead as conquering king so that he could rule the world and he could call us to himself and then one day reveal us to the world. One day, reveal us to one another when the curtain is pulled back on this resurrection, this ultimate resurrection day, and we see the glory and grace that he has been working in and through and among us all along when he reveals to us not only who we are, but what he has given to us through all of those moments of suffering in this world, when he walked with us and cared for us and counseled us and preached to us and held us and wiped our tears and and wiped off our, our skinned knees and bandaged us up and kept us, that is what the resurrection is doing. These people are people who have been loved by God from the very foundation of the world. These people are people that have been called by God in real time and space. These people are people who have been, the Bible's word is saved from their sin, rescued by sovereign grace alone. These people are people who have been kept in his love by divine power. And these people are people who one day will be revealed in the joy of ultimate glory in the end. That is what this Sunday is all about. I want you to capture that. I want to capture that. I want you to hold on to that. I want you to really hear that. What do I want you to hear today? I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to hear the good news of a God who gave his own son so that his wrath would not be poured out on you, but rather was poured out on him so that you could know him, so that you could glorify him. So that you could enjoy him. That is why he rose from the dead. I'm going to read a a kind of longer passage of scripture. Just listen carefully to what it has to say. It reminds us of that, that resurrection morning. But then I also want you to see what comes right after that because it's so important. And it brings all of this together. In Matthew 28, this is what it says. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. That actually happened. I know that sounds crazy. That actually happened. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook from fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Good Friday. He is not here. For he is risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly. Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, rejoice. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go, bring word to my brothers to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the men from the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came at night and stole him while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But even that story could not stop the truth of the gospel. And look at what he says right after this in what we know to be the Great Commission, something that we celebrate at this time of year and we give give additional offering to so that there will be money to plant churches and to support work even around the world as we do throughout the year. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, it says, to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is that all about? Why is it that right after his resurrection, he gives them this commission? it's because he's not done resurrecting. It's because he has a a future plan, a future moment at the end of the age when he's gonna do exactly what Paul says he's going to do. He is going to reveal the sons and daughters of God. I want to ask you this very important question. Are you going to be there when the curtain, if that's the way that it works, comes open and all of the sons and daughters of God who are in Christ, who belong to him, they love him, they know him, they find their joy in him, they follow him, they seek after him, they serve him, they listen to him, they proclaim him, they're comforted by him. When the curtain comes back and reveals them, are you gonna be there? Are we going to see you or no? I want to see you. I want you to see me. I want every person in this room, I want everyone who God wills to be there so that we together can celebrate this incredible moment in human history that Jesus has been preparing from eternity past. And I guarantee you, he will bring it to fruition. It could be that you're here today and you are not a Christian. And when I say these things to you and they hit your ears, God is doing something. You, you feel like I felt in 1995 a kind of discomfort. Because you know like I did, that's not me. if that's what it means to be a Christian, no, that's not me. If you're feeling that, this is a moment for you. This is a moment for you to surrender your heart and soul to Jesus Christ, for you to, to do what the Bible says, which is to repent and to place your trust in him, for you to be converted, for you to be changed, for you to be saved. If you are feeling that, God may be calling you. And I urge you, I urge you, this is not the kind of person that you say no to. Don't say no. You say yes, yes. I want to be that kind of person. I want to know you. I see this. I want to be there on that day with you. I want to enjoy your glory. I want to give you glory that this would be the day of your salvation. Man, I pray that that will happen. I know that there are people here because I prayed that there would be people here who do not know Jesus Christ. You don't know him. This could be the last time you hear it. I don't know. But what a great day to hear it on. On Easter, to hear the gospel and to have God, by, by an incredible act of gracious love, just reach into your heart and change you And make you this kind of person, and in the future, at the end of the age, reveal you to the world as his own. There would be nothing, nothing better than that. In fact, all of creation is waiting for that day. Therefore, until that day, those of us who are in Christ, here's what we should be doing it's very simple, and we all know what it is go make disciples. Do everything that you can to fill the world with worshipers. To prepare for that day so that we could together rejoice over a mass of people who have come to know Christ and are with us on that day. The last truth, the last reality that we see this morning from the text of this future incredible resurrection moment is that creation itself will even be liberated with us. Creation is yearning and groaning for the revealing of the sons of God because when the sons of God are revealed, sons and daughters, as our text says, that then the glory of God is going to flood the universe and the universe is going to be remade. I know that's another one of those things that's just, it seems like kind of sensational and crazy, but that's exactly what the word of God says will happen. And I believe that that's true. True. I'm looking forward to that. Notice what Paul says because he's looking forward to it as well. In verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility. I think he's talking about there the curse of sin. Not willingly, the creation, the trees and the mountains and the rivers and everything else outside of people was subjected to futility, the curse of sin. Not willingly, but it was done to the earth. It was done to the earth by our sin. It was done to the earth by us, It was done to the earth because God is sovereign, even by God, because he has this plan. But Paul says the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, which is sin, into the freedom of of the glory of the children of God. This is why he says the whole world is anticipating this future moment. Because when the sons and daughters of God are revealed, the whole creation will come into its own. It will be freed, like us, from the curse of sin and brought into the freedom and the joy of God's glory. The good news of Easter this morning. Anticipates not only children of God in the future being revealed, but a whole new world for them. There is something because you know that the world is full of sin and suffering. There is something, no matter who you are or where you live, there's something inside of you that wants this. Everyone wants this. You know that the world is broken and you want it to be made new, this is how it will happen. This is who it will happen for. Now, I said earlier that I love even cheesy things on Easter, and this might be the cheesiest of all. I hope I don't ruin anyone's Easter morning by quoting from a Disney movie. I'm not trying to be cheesy. I'm not trying to be goofy or cute. I'm being, I'm being dead serious. The very fact that the highest charting Disney song of all time now tied with um, the song about Bruno (laughs) is A Whole New World by Aladdin. Why is that? Why is that the song that everybody wants to hear? Why is that the song that resonates with every person? Why is that the song that is at the top of the charts? Because that's what everybody knows we need. We need A Whole New World. We don't need a new party. We don't need a new country. We need a whole new world. And that is what Jesus Christ promises to those who know him. You hear these words. And it just is hard not to think about this future world that he is preparing. It's another example of common grace calling out to us about something special that God is doing. A dazzling place I never knew. That's the whole new world. The song says, when I'm way up here, it's crystal clear that now I'm in a whole new world with you. A whole new world. Unbelievable sights, indescribable feeling, soaring Tumbling, freewheeling, that's the kind of world that we're approaching. Through an endless diamond sky, a whole new world. He says, don't you dare close your eyes. A hundred thousand things to see. Hold your breath. It gets better. I'm like a shooting star. I have come so far. I can't go back. I cannot go back to where I used to be. That, my friends, is the gospel. That's what the gospel is intended to do. It's intended to take you to a whole new world, a whole new life, a whole new way of seeing everything, a whole new happiness and joy. But it is only, only, only found in Christ. He has done all that he has done. He is doing all that he is doing. He will do all that he plans, because he is bringing about this world and revealing his people in his glory. That's why he rose from the dead. You thought it was merely to forgive you. Oh, It's a whole nother world. It's a whole other world of grace and mercy, and we want to celebrate that this morning. The last way that we can apply this to our lives is to do this very thing, is to learn to enjoy, learn to enjoy the many good gifts of God's grace that he's showered on us in this life, and he's done it as preparation for the next. What do you do with all of the good gifts that he has given you? Do you just gobble them up? Do you just ignore some of them because you have so many you can't keep track of all of them? Or do you take them in and savor them and say, God, thank you for these gifts and thank you for all that they point to, something that you're preparing for us? Let me invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts to sing again. And I'm going to pray. And I'm gonna pray that, that on this Easter morning, these truths will get inside of our hearts those who, of us who know Christ that they'll get inside of us and we will have a, a fresh new kind of anticipation about Jesus and his return because he's alive but I'm also going to pray for you if you're not a Christian and you have sat here today and you have heard these songs sung and you have heard this word preached albeit in foolishness that God will work in you and that he will call you to himself and that he will give you everything you need so that you can believe in him. We don't want anything more than that. Let's pray. Our Father, on this, on this Easter morning, this Resurrection Sunday, we give you thanks because you are the God of grace and mercy. You are the God who is sovereign And wise and good. And because of those three, you are happy. You are delighting this morning because of Jesus Christ, because of what you have done for us. And we give you thanks. Those of us who are in him and know him, we give you thanks because you are so good to us. Make us happy. Make us happy in him. And God, we pray for our friends who may be here or joining us on the live stream who don't know you. They don't really trust you or know you or belong to you. But they're like all of us were, just kind of out in the world, groping around. God, I pray that you would show them, show them where the treasure is. I pray that you would open their hearts and open their minds like you have for us, open their eyes and their ears that they would find you and your grace, that they would find your gospel and your son, who is our living savior, absolutely irresistible. And there would be nothing they could do to keep from coming to you. I pray that you would do that for them the way that you have done that for us. And I pray that you would do that around the world today. Send missionaries, send church planters, send ordinary church members around the world to make you known looking forward to this incredible future moment of resurrection when you will reveal your glory and reveal your sons and daughters and the whole world will be made new again for us and forevermore.